Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. The last couple of weeks, I was doing a series talking about returning to the Lord, and I uh, am going to shift gears a little bit tonight and... and um, uh, because I believe you all return to the Lord, and so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll continue with what, what the Lord has uh, placed upon my heart tonight, amen? But before we get into the Word, why don't we just pray, if you would, just bow your heads with me. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your church. I thank you, God, for God, the body of Christ, Lord, and, and I just thank you for, for the, those hearts that are here, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us. We, we surrender our hearts to you tonight. And Father, I pray that uh, as your word is ministered, God, it would be your Holy Spirit speaking and, and not my own words, Lord. And, and so, Father, just teach us tonight. Show us more about your character. Reveal the person of Jesus. Reveal the nature of God to us tonight. This is our prayer tonight, Lord. We love you and we honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go home. I'm just kidding. Everybody's like, whoa, we're done. Well, I'm thankful to minister to you tonight, and I'm I'm glad that we're here tonight. Uh, The message that I've titled for this evening is talking about the heart of God. Amen? We're going to be talking about the heart of God for the next several weeks. And, and, you know, honestly, everything in the scripture is descriptive of the heart of God, if you haven't noticed that yet or if you haven't kind of figured that out. But if you read the word of God, then you will know the heart of God. Amen? Amen? If you read the word of God, then you will know the heart of God. It's when people don't read the word and they're ignorant of the word or naive of what the word says and teaches that we lose ourselves and we get sidetracked and we begin to find our own opinions of who God is or we begin to you know, form our own opinions based on things that we've experienced in life. We form our own opinion of who God is based on you know, what people, other people say. And a lot of times it's secondhand information and when it's secondhand information, it's not firsthand information, it's really of, of little value. Because Jesus promised us, he said that he was the bread of heaven, and he said that he himself would feed us. He promised that he himself would feed us. He said that if you would feast on my blood, if you would eat on my body, like in other words, what he was saying is if you would partake of who I am, you would be nourished by me. You would be nourished by heaven. In Matthew in chapter 4, verse 4, the scripture says that man shall not live on bread alone, but on what? On every word that proceeds out of God's mouth or the very words of God. And so what the Lord is teaching us is he's, he's teaching us that it's not just, you know, us to say, hey, you know what? I depend on, on my, I depend on my, my, my previous knowledge of who he is. I, I depend on what the pastor said about who he is. Or I depend on what some you know, TV preacher says who he is. No, no, no. He's actually giving us access to eat directly from his table. Amen. 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 One of my favorite restaurants that, that I go to, and I don't go very often, but whenever, whenever I, I, I can go or I can afford to go rather, <laughs> you know, with my wife is I love to go to this place called Hayashi. So... If Hayashi is listening, you know, maybe they'll send me a coupon or something. But I love to go to this place, and there's a reason that I love to go to this place is because not only is the food good, I get to see them cook it. 
It's one of those kind of restaurants. If you've ever sat down, there's a chef and he's cooking right in front of you. He does like, he puts an onion on the table and he lights it on fire and he does all these cool tricks and stuff. But, but I like the fact that I have the ability to see what is being cooked for me. Amen? I have firsthand knowledge of, of what it is. It's not just, you know, they slapped a burger together in the back and then they... You know, I don't really know what's in it. I don't really know how they prepared it. I don't know if they washed their hands or if they didn't wash their hands. I don't know if they were wearing gloves or if they weren't wearing gloves. All I do is I just get this little package and I'm, and I'm, I'm there to consume it. But I, 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 I like this restaurant because they cook the food in front of me and I'm able to see what it is. I'm able to, to, to know and say, oh, you know what? I don't want onions, so take those out. And I can see them cooking the onion right in front of me. The reason I bring this up is because when we are in the word of God, I think it's, it's important for us to understand that, that the meal and, and the, 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 the feeding that the Lord has prepared for us, it's, it's here. It's in front of you. It, it's present. It, it doesn't have to be something that's cooked and then it's brought to you. Like right now, I cooked up a meal and I'm serving it to you, if that makes sense. But you actually have the ability to go to the restaurant yourself and sit down and get fed. Amen? We understand that. We understand that, right? And it's important that we realize how important the word of God is to our understanding of who God is. And I believe it was in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked an important question to his disciples. And he said this. He said, who do men say that I am? Do you remember when he asked that question? He said, who do men say that I am? And there was a pondering from the disciples because, you know, each one of them kind of had a different answer. Well, some say you're rabbi. Some say, you know, you are, you're, you know, some say you're the carpenter. Some say that, you know, you're the son of, of Mary and Joseph. Like, they're all giving different descriptive answers of, of, of who people say that they are. And Jesus didn't ask the question because he was concerned about his reputation. Jesus was asking the question so he could see what was in their heart. He was asking the question to see if they had connected with him because if they had connected with him, there was a connection that was made that we'll talk about in a second. And so finally, it was Peter who opened his mouth and he gave the answer. He said, he asked him directly, he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? You've told me who everybody else thinks that I am, but who do you say that I am? And he says, I believe that you're Christ, the Son of God. Peter's confession in the moment was simply him acknowledging that he believed that he was the one that, that they had been waiting for. He was the promised Messiah. It was Jesus who was sitting right in front of him. It was, it was him. It wasn't anybody else. It was him. And he said, great. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. There was a holy connection that was made. Because he identified Jesus as the Son of God. A woman wrote this. We are denied the very things that our hearts long for. And we learn to long for the one thing that will never be denied to us. And that's God himself. I don't know about you, but in this life and in this world that I've lived in, you know, I've wanted a lot of things <laughs> that I haven't always got. I prayed for a lot of things that I haven't always received the way that I wanted to receive. I've desired a lot of things 
that I haven't always received the way that I wanted to receive. But when we are denied those very things that our heart longs for, I believe the whole reason for the denying is so the Lord can turn us towards him. The Lord can turn us back towards who he is, the person of Jesus, him and him alone. Because if you've lived long enough and you've ever placed your, your attention and the attention of your heart elsewhere, you'll quickly find out that your career will never satisfy you. That having a good family won't satisfy you. That getting your degrees and your education and, and making lots of money won't satisfy you. Living a life that's frivolous, that's out in the world, that's partying and doing all kinds of things, it's not going to satisfy you. If you've lived long enough, you, you've come to these blockades in the road where you said, you know what, it seemed right for a while, and then all of a sudden I came to a screeching halt because, because there was a lack of fulfillment in that area. I thought that it was drugs and alcohol. I thought that thing would fulfill me, but I came crashing back to earth. And when we run into these things, I believe it's the Lord saying, you know what? That's not going to do it. This ain't going to do it. This ain't going to do it. Only I will fill the God-sized hole inside of your heart. Only Jesus is the remedy for our soul. Amen. There's no other remedy, there's no other way, there's no other thing that you can, you know, hope for or look for or try to find or seek after or win or, or you know, find a reward in that will ever satisfy you like Jesus. Amen. And so I pray that more and more the people of God, his church, you and I, his ministry, that we would grow closer and closer to the heart of God. I'll read this story too quickly. In the foreword to the excellent book, Submersive Sabbath, there was a physician and author of 24-6, uh, this man named Matthew Sleeth, and he describes the process of listening to hearts as a part of his medical practice. While speaking specifically to the need for the rest in an overworked or overtired culture, this metaphor could be extended to a variety of areas, including our longings and our desires. And he said this, As a physician, I've listened to thousands of hearts. He said, some during prenatal exams. He said, I've heard the rapid swish of a baby still in the womb. Often moms and dads, they burst into tears when they hear their child's first, their heart for the first time. He said, I've smiled at the strange murmur of those thumb-sized hearts make when they are born into a great big world. Fetal shunts closing of their own accord as a baby breathes independently for the first time. He said, I've listened to the chests of three-year-old children as they inhale deeply and then they wonder whether the man in the white coat can hear their thoughts through those tubes attached to his ears. He said, I've listened to athletes strong and slow hearts. He said, I've heard asthmatic hearts pounding away in fear and the muffled sound of failing hearts. He said, I've listened to the hearts of saints and I've listened to the hearts of murderers. He said, I am in the first generation, I'm in the first generation of physicians to ever listen to the heart of one person after it had been transplanted into the body of another. 
He said, doctors and nurses listen to patients' hearts using a stethoscope. He said, although this is convenient, it is not necessary. He said, in fact, the stethoscope wasn't invented until a generation after our country became a nation. He said, for thousands of years, physicians listened to the heart sounds without the aid of a stethoscope. They simply laid their ear on the chest of their patient. He said, now it is only children who lay their heads on the chest of their parents to listen to a beating heart. As we continue tonight, I want us just like a child to lay our ears close to the heartbeat of God. Close to the description of his word and I guarantee we will feel the presence of his Holy Spirit. Because as a child of God, we have this privilege to lay our heads on the chest of the heart of God. We have this privilege to tune our ears into the one who formed us, the one who fashioned us, the one who created us, the one who made us in the image of his son. In John chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus said this. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. And he says, I will come to you. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. He said, I will come to you. Now, the orphaned are those without a father and a mother. They are those that are forgotten. They are those who are unwanted and they go uncared for. And many times their needs are met, but their desires and their dreams are shattered, church. And we see this in this normal world, in this natural world that we live in. A lot of people that come from broken homes where, where a father is not present or a mother is not present or the, the family unit is broken up, they are the ones that are often suffering from mental illness. They're the ones that are often suffering from depression or anxiety or deep hurt or pain. Statistics will even show that even more so those without a father figure or a present father are usually those who are worse off. They're those who fill our, our streets as, as homeless or those who fill our prisons as prisoners. And Jesus declares to us, he says this, he said that he won't leave us and we won't be orphaned without a father. I'll read it again. He said... I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. In Psalms 10, verse 14, he says this. He said, but you, God, you see the trouble of the afflicted, and you consider their grief, and you take it in hand. And it says, and the victims commit themselves to you, and you are the helper of the fatherless. Jesus, the crucified Son of God and risen Savior, gave us access to a good and perfect Father that the Bible describes Him to be. Amen? How many of you know the perfect Father that I'm talking about tonight? Amen. The Bible describes that we have access to Him so that, we, so that those who were once fatherless would be so no longer. Those who were once fatherless would be so no longer. In Psalm 72, verse 12, it says this, For he will deliver the needy who cry out, and the afflicted who have no one to help. 
It says he will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. Verse 14 says, he will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Precious is their blood in his sight. You see, one of, if not one of the most beautiful things about God is this, is when one of his created children calls out to him because of need, affliction, pain, oppression, weakness, violence, or even death, the Lord will always show up, church. He will always show up as a deliverer and as a rescuer. He will always show up as a deliverer and as a rescuer for their blood. Listen to me carefully. The blood of those who he created is precious to him. Do you know how precious your blood is to Jesus? Your blood is so precious to Jesus that Jesus shed his blood for you. Jesus shed his blood for you because your blood was precious to him. Amen. And it doesn't matter if you had good parents, if they were great parents, if they were present parents, or they were absent parents. The Bible says in Psalm 27 and 10, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Though my father and mother may forsake me, the Lord will receive me. You say, well, Pastor Duke, I've had my parents my whole life. You may have had natural parents. You may have had parents that have been in the home. But at some point or another, they exhibited behavior or they maybe forgot to pick you up from school. <laughs> or maybe they were late to soccer practice or they forgot about the big game that you might have had. In some way, they may have forsaken you. But the Lord, he says this, he will receive me. He will receive us. And the first point I want us to take note of is this. Is the heart of God is in a father. The heart of God is in a father. The heart of God is in a father. Why is this important to understand? Because ever since the beginning, ever since the garden, the enemy, Satan, has been trying to deceive, lie to, mock, and counterfeit himself as God. Ever since the garden, ever since the beginning, the enemy has been trying to weasel his way into, you know, having some kind of, you know, stance next to God. So that we have two options to choose from. He's always tried to deceive us and twist our thinking and, and get us to believe in things that God never said. And this is why I said at the beginning that it's so important to know the word. Because if you do not know the word, my friends, you can be deceived. Amen. It's very simple. If you don't know the word for yourself, you can be deceived. Jesus proves this when he is able to hear what the enemy has to say to him. 
In the book of Matthew chapter 4, and we've read that story a lot of times, and we know that Jesus was, was previously you know, uh, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness for 40 days, and he was fasting, and he was praying, and then all of a sudden he's approached by Satan, and Satan you know, begins to lie to him. He begins to tell him, oh, I'll give you all the kingdoms uh, and all the, all the places of the earth. And, uh, you know, if you would just bow down and, and worship me. And, and Jesus' response every single time was, it is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus had a response for everything that the enemy was attacking him with. And, and dare I say, sometimes, church, we face things and the enemy throws things at us. And the reason he throws them at us is because we are ignorant of what the word of God says concerning the issue. This is a really dangerous place to be in because if you do not know how to attack and you do not know how to counterattack, or you do not know how to use the word of God as your defense, then all of a sudden you'll get hit by the arrows of the enemy. So when he throws a lie our way and he says something, he spews some kind of false lie to us and we have no answer for it, it's going to come. And we need to be prepared, we need to be understood, we need to get in the word of God, we need to understand what the Lord is saying so that the enemy cannot deceive us, and the enemy cannot trick us, and the enemy cannot lie to us. But the Bible describes this enemy that we have, church, as a liar in John 8, 44. He's one who masquerades as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11. And so, you know, you can just jot those down, the guys aren't going to show those on the screen tonight, but... We've seen that, you know, the enemy is a liar. The scripture tells us this very clearly. And the scripture tells us very clearly that he masquerades as an angel of light. What does that mean? He falsifies himself to look like God. Does that make sense to you? He falsifies himself to look like God. It's like, you know, he looks really close to the real thing. You know, it's, it's, it's the Diet Coke of Jesus. You know, it's not the real thing. There's a difference. I don't like Diet Coke anyways. I don't know why I said that. But in Scripture, we find that Jesus had been speaking to the Pharisees. And oftentimes, Jesus found himself having some interesting conversations with the Pharisees. These were these people that were teachers of the law. They were studied. They actually knew the word. They knew the Hebrew. They, they understood, you know, the Mosaic law. They understood everything that had been written up until that point. In fact, many of them knew it well. So whenever Jesus would do anything, they would always try to counter with what it is that they saw Jesus do. And so Jesus was having a conversation with Pharisees, and like many times before, they were questioning the authority that Jesus had, and they questioned him where his power came from. And so they're asking Jesus, you know, by what authority do you have? Where does your power come from? And so during this one particular exchange... They asked him the question, where is your father? Now, let's look at this in John 8, verse 19. They asked him, where is your father? And Jesus' response was this, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So they're digging for proof that Jesus had just said he was the son of God. So they said, well, where's your father, right? Surely show us your father and then we'll believe that you're a son. 
surely shows the proof of, of where you have come from. And Jesus realizes because this whole time they're questioning Jesus. He is the guy. But guess what? Their hearts were hardened and they could not see it. Their hearts were hardened. They couldn't understand that it was actually him. This is why he said what he said. He said, if you knew me, you'd know my father also. If you knew me, you would know my father. And I echo what Jesus responded. If you know Jesus, you know the father. If you've heard it from Jesus, you've heard it from the father. Amen. If you've encountered Jesus, you've encountered the father. But without knowing Jesus, we cannot know the Father because it's only through Christ that we have access to the Father. John 14 and 6 says this, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And what does it say? No one comes to who? Say it loud. No one comes to the? Except through me. Have you seen those things that you have to go through that you push? Like the little spinny thing? I don't know what it's called. You know what I'm talking about? The movies or at a park or, you know, theme park or something. Jesus is a gate. Jesus is the gate by which we have to go through. You can't jump over it. You have to go through Jesus to get to the Father. If you do not go through Jesus, you do not know the Father Neither do you know Jesus. This is what he's saying. He said, if you really knew me, you will know the Father as well. He said, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Can't you just open the heavens, Jesus, and just show us the Father. Let us peek inside the window of heaven so that we know that the Father's there and that we'll, we'll believe even more, right? Like, you know, it's like we all need that assurance, right? We all need that certainty. How many of you have ever asked God for a sign, amen? All right, stop it. <laughs> you know, I know we're always like, oh, Lord, I need confirmation from three people, you know, and, and, and you, I need this confirmation from three people, God, because I really need to know that if, if you're going to give me the boldest to pray for my meal at this public restaurant, I need confirmation from three people or else I'm not going to do it. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit said, pray for your meal. There you go. There's your confirmation. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? He said, even after I've been amongst you for such a long time, don't you know me? Like, he's like, you know, has your friends ever, you know, thought something about you and you're like, really? Has that ever happened to you or is it just me? Maybe I'm the only one with friends like that. But it's like if your friend questions something about your character, and you know that they know that you wouldn't do that, right? Like, you know that they know that you wouldn't say that or go there. But I don't know. I heard it, and I know it was kind of weird. Like, I didn't think he was like that. You're like, really? I, I didn't do that, or I didn't say that, you know. And, and so Jesus is telling Philip this. He's like, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been amongst you for such a long time? He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, let me break this down for you, what this means. Anyone who's seen Jesus has seen the Father. <laughs> it's not difficult. Do we understand? It's very plain. 
Anyone who's seen Jesus has seen the Father. This is what he's saying. He says, how can you say, show us the Father? He said, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? He said, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So Jesus is connecting all of this. He's saying, I'm in him and he's in me. If you've seen him, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen him. And the point that Jesus was making was simply, if you've seen me say and what you've heard me say and what you've seen me do, it always points to the heart of my Father. It always points back to the heart of my Father. Do you know that as children, we carry traits of our Father's? We carry things in our life that that are traits, that are attributes, that are characteristics of who our father is, even if your father was present in your life. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because of the blood. Some of you may have had an absent father in your life, and there's things that you've done, and there's things that you say, and there's things that you do like that person, even if he's never been around you. Because you carry those things through your blood. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But irrespective, we have to understand that regardless of the presence of a father, and I'm talking about a natural father, there is the ability to carry on things that they would do or say. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, what you've seen me say and what you've seen me do All these things, it points to the heart of my father. Why is Jesus able to say this? Because he just came from heaven. (laughs) He was with God in the beginning. He was the one who put the stars into orbit. He was the one who spoke the, the oceans to be. He's the one, church, that, that, you know, when he said and when he spoke things, they came into existence. It wasn't just the father, you know, had a son and the son came later. No, no, no. Jesus, my friends, has been supreme and has been at the beginning because he's eternal God. He wasn't created afterwards. He wasn't, you know, you know formed afterwards. He was always been there. So what he did and what he said and all those things, it points to the heart of the Father. In Colossians 1, verse 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And Jesus, he continues in this conversation with the Pharisees, and Jesus tells them, If you hold to my teaching... Not anybody else's teaching, not the Pharisees' teaching, not the religious teachings. If you hold to my teaching, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We've heard that verse before. It says, but they said, we're descendants of Abraham. We're descendants of Abraham, Jesus. We've never been slaves of anybody. We've never been a slave. How, are you, how can you say this, Jesus, that, you know, we, you will set us free? Because our lineage says that we've never been captive. Our ancestry says that we've never been bound. 
How can you say this, Jesus, that we need to be set free? And the response that Jesus gave was this, is everyone who sins is a slave to sin. John chapter 8, verse 35, he goes on to say, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He said, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm going to stop there just for a second. Jesus stops them in their tracks. He says, I know who you are. I know where you come from. But if you were truly a descendant of Abraham, you wouldn't be plotting to murder me. So you could say that you're like me. You could say that you're a, a child of God. But he said, you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. That is, you've rejected what I have said. You've rejected what I am teaching. You've rejected what I am showing you. And because you reject me, you reject the Father. Because you reject the Father, you reject me. Because you do this, you're being cut off. He said, I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. Think of what Jesus is saying there. What did I say just a second ago? He came from heaven to earth. He had already been there since the beginning of time with the Father. So now Jesus is, is born into this world just like a man, and he's born into this world, into this sinful world, and he, he comes by way of a virgin birth. He comes by way of this pure you know, way to come into the earth, but guess what? He knows the Father. He knows the Father. He knew him the whole time. He said, I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. I'm saying what I've heard from my Father, but you're doing what you've heard from your Father. There's a difference. He goes on to explain, Abraham is our father, they answered. If, he said, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. He said, as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. He said, you're doing the works of your own father. They said, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, then you would love me. For I have come here from God. He said, I have not come on my own, but God sent me. He said, why is my language not clear to you? He said, because you are unable to hear what I say, then you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. He said, yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. He said, can any one of you prove me guilty of sin? 
He said, if I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Verse 47 says this, so whoever belongs to God hears what God says. He said, and the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. There's another scripture that, that I didn't jot in my notes, but it says that those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. That is, those who are operating as the Lord has designed us to operate because he's given us his Holy Spirit, that is proof that we are sons of God. Amen? Amen. The Bible says, church, that every one of us has sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And unless we acknowledge Jesus is the Son of God and we believe who he claimed he was, then we could only know the Father too by way of Jesus. And just like we read, slaves have no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to the Lord forever. The son and the daughter that do what the Lord says belong to the family of God. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, says this, when the time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. He said, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. He says, so you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. See, the first verse that I shared with you tonight was Jesus saying that he would never leave us as an orphan. Now I ask the question tonight, who gets adopted? An orphan. Who gets adopted? An orphan. And before any one of us knew Jesus, we were all orphaned. I'll say that again. Before any one of us knew Jesus, we were all orphaned. Maybe not in the physical sense, but in the spirit. And unless we are born again through the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, can we cry out, Abba, Father. Unless we have been born again through the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, can we declare him as Abba, Father. The term Abba Father is not one that is just to exclaim, you know, praise or recognition for our Heavenly Father. But Abba Father, as conveyed through Jesus and Paul, it reflects the knowledge of knowing that God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And that He's established paths for us before we even took our first steps as humans. The Bible says that, you know, he knew us when what? When we were formed in our mother's wombs. He knew us before we came to be. He knew the path of your life. He knew the trajectory of your life. He knew everything about your life. He is the designer, church. He is the ultimate creator. Amen? And when you and I cry out that word, Abba, Father, in prayer, we should envision a father who knows your greatest strengths, yet knows our greatest weaknesses. 
He knows our beginning and he knows our end. But instead of forcing his will on you, he allows you to meet him in your own way. He allows you to meet him on your own terms with intimacy that could only felt, be felt between the creator and the created. Only from that place. And for these reasons, this is why we call God our Abba Father. Because those who've received the Son now have access to the closeness of the Father. We're transformed from slaves into sons and daughters. We're transformed and we've been taken from an unfit father of lies and we've been adopted by a perfect and heavenly father. What a precious truth. Said we've been taken from an unfit father of lies. An unfit father of lies and we've been adopted by a perfect and heavenly father. Aren't you glad that the heart of God is in a father? I'm glad that the heart of God is in a father. But the question I want to ask us tonight is this. Is are you still a slave or are you a son? Are you still a slave or are you a son? I know it's a challenging question. Because slaves obey their master. But sons obey their father. And there's a big difference. The Lord is looking for us to be set free. His son wasn't tortured and punished and beaten. He wasn't accused. He wasn't, you know, torn apart. The Bible says that the punishment that he, he bore on his back, church, if we understood what they, what they punished Jesus with, they, they whipped him 39 times on a whipping post. So much so that his ribs and his side were exposed. And when you think, I had this image earlier today when I was, when I was praying. When you think of when and how the blood of Jesus was spilled in such a violent and ugly way. Such a terrible way, such a dishonoring way, <laughs> such an embarrassing way. And I, think, I think we see images of Jesus and we just think that it was, it was just this thing, you know, you know they just, he just silently went to sleep. But my friends, it was much, much more than that. It was, it was suffering. It was suffering and it was death. And Jesus even asked his father this question. He said, if this cup could pass from me, 
He knew that he was going to have to drink this, this cup of suffering, church, and how difficult that would be. He said, if this cup of suffering could pass for me, he said, yet, not my will. He said, your will be done. And I say this tonight. There's two things that the Lord is looking for in his bride as he returns. Or many more than two, but one is this. Is that we would never forget that Jesus suffered greatly for our restoration and reconciliation and that we too would suffer also. It's a sobering thought. We too would die a death in Jesus so that we could be raised to life through Jesus. Because unless we die, only then can we be born again. Unless we die in our hearts, unless we die to ourselves, unless we die to our will, only then will the Lord resurrect us. Because we could say, like Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. So as I ask you to bow your heads tonight, Jesus did not die in the fashion in the way that he did so that we could stay stuck in sin. So that we would be slaves to a master that's sending us straight into the pit of hell, but he died so that we could be set free. So that we could have access to the Father. One of the things that Jesus talked about in John chapter 14, he explained this place of destiny that we call heaven, but he said this, he said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. He said, and if it were not so, he said, I would have told you. He said, but because it is so, he said, I have to leave and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a destination for you that you may also be where I am. That you may go and spend eternity with me. And I don't know about you, but I don't know what son or daughter would not want to be with their family for the rest of their life. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.